Hey guys, welcome back to Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. So what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Being a Christian means more than just adopting a set of beliefs. To be a Christian is to be in relationship with Jesus and to be transformed by the Holy Spirit through that relationship. We call this discipleship. It should be the core part of every believer's identity. Sadly, we often have murky definitions or misguided ideas about what exactly discipleship means. That's why I'm glad to welcome Jonathan Dotson back to the show to discuss his book, Gospel Center Discipleship. Jonathan and I discussed what discipleship means and how we tend to get it wrong in the church. He helps us to understand how discipleship involves our minds and our hearts, as well as how we can get down to the heart in discipleship. Lastly, Jonathan explains what this kind of discipleship looks like in practice. Jonathan Dodson is the founding pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas, which he started with his wife, uh, Robbie, and a small group of people. They have three wonderful children. He is also the author of GospelCenteredDiscipleship.com, which produces resources to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus. He is also the author of a number of books, including Hearing the Spirit, Knowing the Spirit Who Creates, Sustains, and Transforms Everything, The Unbelievable Gospel, Say Something Worth Believing, and Our Good Crisis. Before we get into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list so that you can get all of the latest content sent directly into your inbox. Just visit the link in the show notes and you can sign up on my website. Also, be sure that you are subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all of future episodes right on your homepage. If you're helped by this content, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review or shared the show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take a minute of your time. When you take these simple steps, it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into my conversation with Jonathan Dotson. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Aaron. Uh, good to be back to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you're back on. I really enjoyed our conversation last time. Uh, you, you're a great guest and so uh, and great to conversate with. And so just uh, real happy to have you back on, man. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed our, our conversation, too. I knew that Apologetics is an interest of yours, so is that made for a good conversation when we talked about our good crisis and yeah so th- thanks for i must have not completely flunked because you invited me back so that's encouraging <laughs> yes yeah no, no no absolutely glad to have you back yeah so last time we talked about uh, our good crisis uh your book on uh the beatitudes and how they um and how they speak to our current life today today we're talking about a book that's uh a little bit older and a little bit newer Right. Uh, it was it was originally hmm. published before that one, but you've just come out with a uh, revised edition. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about gospel centered discipleship today. So whenever we start with this book, um, there's a lot of books out there about discipleship in the Christian world. So what is it that uh, inspired you to write this book? 
Well, it came out of my own kind of personal struggles as a disciple, uh, experiencing kind of a more legalistic environment as a young disciple and recognizing the importance for grace to motivate. So I can remember um, sitting around, around with guys that I was discipling in college and we had a checklist, you know, uh, had you, have you um, been greedy this week? Um, have you looked at any pornographic material? You know, have you had a quiet time? Have you prayed? And then the last question was, you know, did you lie on any of the above? And uh, while those are all, you know, good things and, and are, are holy things we want to aim for, that the whole motivation was, was um, the will. Can you will it to happen? You know, mm. and uh, th- there was very little grace operating in that. And that became discouraging. It became legalistic and it, honestly pretty powerless, you know, uh, when you, when you really get down to real temptation. So um, discovering the gospel really for me in a fresh way through the writings of John Piper, the idea that um, our joy and God's glory are not at odds, but that we can actually glorify God by delighting in him was just a fresh breath of air to my legalistic heart. And so um, that was that was a first step for me into really kind of everyday gospel centeredness. Mm-hmm. And then as I began to make disciples, I wanted to kind of help them to 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 be holy with with the engine of, of grace and gospel and delight in God, not with the engine of the will. So, um, yeah, so it came out of my personal experience, but also wanting to be better at making disciples and help motivate people to follow Jesus, not mm-hmm. by gutting it out through a willpower by believing the hope of the gospel and letting it motivate the heart to trust Jesus because he's more faithful and to treasure Jesus because he's more satisfying. Yeah, that's great. It makes me think about how I was, uh, I was going to say recently, but I guess this was several months ago. Now I, I spoke at a conference and, um, and I had the session and at the end we were doing Q and a, and one of the guys who he had been furiously taking notes the whole time, uh, not ang- not furiously angry, but just, I mean, great yeah. note taker, you know, yeah. opposite of me, I'm a bad note taker. So he's taking notes the whole time. I mean, he's it, it, as if he's transcribing what I'm saying. And then he, uh, and so he asked me a question at the end. He says, he says, you know, I'm looking over the notes that I took and I'm seeing here things about uh, accepting responsibility, following Jesus, obedience, uh, l- listening to his commandments and, and all these different things talking about, uh, Christian obedience, right? following Christ. And he said, but all my life in conferences and in church and, uh, denials and different things, I've been told that it's all about grace, grace, grace. But from you, I'm hearing, uh, follow, obey, listen to commandments, responsibility and so on. He said, and I'm having a hard time reconciling these two things. Mm-hmm. And so I think in your own experience, you're kind of talking about something that's the flip of that, how your experience prior to this fresh teaching of the gospel was all do, do, do. And then you're reintroduced to grace. How do you mm-hmm. help people to hold both of those together? Cause the gospel is both just as we're going to talk about in the book and discipleship, the gospel is, uh, is grace and, uh, our acceptance before God being done, but then mm-hmm. obedience that we're called to do. So how do you yeah. hold those two together? I really like the way J.P. Moreland, the Christian philosopher, talks about it. He says, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Mm. 
So grace compels effort. It compels work. It compels perseverance and obedience, but it doesn't compel earning a place in front of God, earning God's favor. So grace is, is um, opposed to earning, but not to effort. I think mm-hmm. of Philippians 2, 12 and 13, the command to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a command. It's a command that we should take seriously to, to, to do it reverently before the face of God. There's a, there's a sobriety about it. It's an imperative. It's not optional. And then the, the you know, 13 says, for God is who, for God who is at work to will his good pleasure in you. That's so that the, the actual working out of my salvation is something that I choose to do and I expend spiritual effort on, but it's God's delight and work in me that actually empowers me to do it. And this is the tension that you find all over the Bible, human responsibility and uh, divine power, sovereignty, grace. They're the two threads that kind of intersect to produce uh, godliness and Christ-likeness. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's that's the way I would kind of concisely respond to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what makes Christianity so unique in the world is mm-hmm. that in Christianity, we see, uh, we see growth and improvement as a person because a lot of other people in the world believe in personal improvement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and self-help if they want to say, but it's all done through, uh, either through outward pressure or just behavior modification. Whereas, uh, because we have the gospel, we understand that true change comes f- from the inside out, our yeah. heart being uh, renewed and sanctified our, our, our spirit being, being, uh, transformed in participation of the Holy spirit that then leads to the outward change. Yeah. And I think your comment there about transformation by the Holy spirit is really critical because it is the third person of the Trinity that indwells us, that empowers us. If you had a choice between the father, son, and Holy spirit to be your personal discipler, which would you choose? Well, many of us would gravitate toward Jesus. He's the master but we would be unable to obey him to keep his commands. And so he says, it's better that I leave and send you the helper, the paraclete, um, who according to Jesus takes us, guides us into the truth. And a lot of us stay on top of the truth. We analyze the truth. We debate the truth. But John 16, the spirit is given to take us into the truth. That is to live in it, to encounter the spirit and the son and the father in it so that obedience is not transactional or even primarily moral, but it is commute. It's communion. It's fellowship. Mm. And that's what we're, that's what we're after. That the big reward of discipleship is God. (laughs) It's not, it's not even Christ likeness. It's enjoying the father, son, and Holy spirit. And so it's an invitation into communion with God. And uh, man, that's, that, that is a reason to write a book. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's so good yeah so in your book you you spend the first part of it just defining discipleship and i think that's great because um while some people might maybe get bored at first i'm not saying your book's boring but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know because they're like oh gosh can't we just get on to the the, the application yeah. part, the practical part. I, I think it's important that we do that because it, it, it's one of those terms that uh, can be sort of a, a, a jello term in mm-hmm. the church where we throw it around mm-hmm. a lot, but it doesn't, but we never really understand what it means. And so 
according to your definition, and I know you worked this out over three chapters, but what is discipleship? And does it mean something different based upon stage of life, context, and, and so on? So how do you think about discipleship? The most concise definition I have is a spirit, a spirit empowered follower of Jesus, which really reflects what we just talked about, that my following after Jesus is empowered by the spirit, not by my own will or effort. Um, <clears throat> and then the following is not after, you know, a mentor, uh, a church methodology, um, a particular theological camp. The, we're not following that. Those are meant to be a means to following Jesus. So Jesus is the better master. Jesus is the better savior than the things that we tend to gravitate towards, like a pet theology. There are people who are so theologically opinionated that it actually, their theology actually becomes their functional master. So they have very little patience for people who disagree or have different views. Mm. Well, there's an indication that you have a surrogate master. Jesus is a much better master. He's always right. <laughs> but uh, if you fail him, he dies for you. Um, if you fail to win the theological argument, it, argument, it won't die for you. It will punish you. So that's true of any functional master that creeps into the discipleship. So the most concise is a spirit-led follower of Jesus, but it's really important to recognize who are we actually following? Because as disciples, we're so easily wooed by other things. And those things are very bad masters. Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord, Master, Curious. So <clears throat> he's the best Lord and he's the best Savior. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that's why he's worth following. Yeah. And in the outworking of that definition, what does it look like? Because whenever I think about how we define discipleship, I think that it, it can, maybe the definition doesn't change, but it takes on different nuances based upon the, the, the context of where it's happening, right? Mm -hmm. So discipleship, whenever we are in a, the worship service, that, that's a part of discipleship, but what does it mean versus discipleship whenever we are in a group of, you know, guys or mm -hmm. whenever we're in a one-on-one -on -one setting? Uh, mm -hmm. how, how does how does that definition work out in the different nuances of, of, of context in a Christian's life? But I don't, you might be going back to this kind of way I de describe a disciple in the book based on Matthew 28, the, or a disciple is rational, relational, missional. So <clears throat> uh, go, therefore, and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? That's the command. It's uh, augmented by three participles to go. So you're sent. That's missional. Uh, you baptize. You're baptized into a divine community, Father, Holy, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and into the church, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, so you're, it's, it's uh, communal or relational. And then it's missional. We're on mission making disciples uh, in all the nations. So if you're to think about yourself as a disciple, one way to think about how you're growing or how you might um, minister in changing context is to think about those three aspects of your identity as, as a, as a learner, rational, as a, a relational, a person in community and as missional, uh, been sent by God. So, yeah. So, so the different contexts would might pull out one of those. So if you're, if you're, um, in a church service, uh, church gathering, you might be more engaged at the theological and biblical teaching uh, rational, 
but it shouldn't stop there. It's, it's transformative. Um, and you're there with the people of God. It's communal. Um, so there might be a more of an emphasis on those aspects of discipleship as opposed to missional. Although a church gathering, I think, should be missional. We should be keeping the skeptic in mind as we communicate. We should be the model of, of a Christian hospitality, the love of Christ to people who are seeking. And then the, in our services, we end with ascending. Um, we don't call it a benediction because we don't want it to be kind of an in-house thing, but ascending to, to, to send us into the world. So, um, you know, so that would be one context in where those different aspects of discipleship are getting worked out. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that's kind of, if I'm getting anywhere close to kind of your question there, but yeah. 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 No, that, that's helpful. Cause, and, and I think that's absolutely where, what I was thinking about was just how, uh, what, like, like I said before, how the nuances of what discipleship means, uh, it sort of depends on our context. And like you said, so in the church service, um, it means if we're in the audience, it means hearing. Mm-hmm. So it means hearing the word, uh, mm-hmm. receiving the word, and then we re- respond to worship. And so that's, that's discipleship. It's, it's the participating in the work of the spirit to aid us in fellowship with God and becoming more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in, in group settings, it's, it's relational and with a mentor, it's, it's, um, it's vulnerability. Right. Yeah. Sometimes when I teach on this, I talk about the three different environments. There's the classroom environment that tends to play to the, the rational. There's the community environment. You might think of a community group or a social setting. And then there's the cultural environment for mission. And you're the same person in all three contexts, but each context kind of draws out uh, one of those aspects uh, in particular. So, yeah. Yeah. And so whenever you survey the way the discipleship is written about or spoken about today, um, or maybe even in the way that a lot of churches and Christians approach discipleship, what do you think is usually one of the primary missing pieces? Uh, I think one of the more popular emphases today in discipleship is multiplication. So uh, there's this catchphrase, making disciples who make disciples. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have multi-generational discipleship in your ministry, then you're on the B team. Um, if, you're, if you're not killing it with making a disciple who make, like, who, who are you pouring into? Uh, sometimes the language, um, you know, uh, and it's all taken from 2 Timothy 2.22. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I think that, that if we're not careful, that becomes the center of our discipleship. Our measurement of success is uh, whether we're making disciples who are making disciples. And multiplication is not the chief value of the kingdom. Christ is the chief value of the kingdom. And if you're judging the success of your ministry based on multiplication, guess what? You're putting an albatross around your people. That's, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a yoke that is heavy and not light. You put Christ around people and encourage them in their faith. It's light, and um, and when and and so when, when you're when you're succeeding in multi generation discipleship, you're not going to have a problem. But when it's it's hard or you're limited or people aren't getting it, as we are prone to do, mm-hmm. 
then uh, you're, you'll start thinking less of yourself. You'll beat yourself up, your, your church or your people up because they're not doing it. Yeah. They're not making disciples who aren't making disciples. But, you know, as I look at the Bible, man, multiplication is not the driving force. Um, Jesus uses all kinds of growth metaphors, acknowledging that there's slow growth and there's fast growth. There are seeds that take time to grow into a massive mustard seed tree that, um, you know, bears uh, great shade for a great kingdom. But that takes time. I mean, we're 2000 years in. He's pretty patient. Um, I think about the way that, you know, we should view individual people in our church, you know. Some people in my church should be making disciples who make disciples. They should run a six-minute mile because they have the training, they have the gifting, they have the experience. Some people, I mean, if they're just facing Jesus, it's a win. They, they're suffering. Um, they don't have the advantages that the, a six-minute mile person has. They um, have really rough family background, and they're really beat up right now. Um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't think about other people. So, you know, using multiplication or mission as the center of discipleship is a, is a bludgeon or a, an albatross uh, upon the people of God. Uh, and Jesus, his yoke is not heavy and doesn't beat you up. It is light. So I, I want us to kind of look towards mission, but through Jesus. Not mm -hmm. look at mission and then tack Jesus on. Yeah. Um, because really the mission isn't about making disciples. It's about Jesus. Mm. It's about people encountering the real Jesus, the risen Jesus, the interceding Jesus, the weeping Jesus. And that's what we have to give, not a program of multiplication and church growth. So I think that's one of the, one of the things that's problematic today. And it's really plays to kind of Western measures of success, numerical kind of evaluations and metrics. I don't think when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, man, you didn't make disciples who made disciples. So, you know, I'm plucking out something out of your crown. He's going to say, did you point them to me? And if you look at the seven letters of the churches, there's not any numerical evaluation. As Jesus is is judging there in Revelation one, they're they're not judged. They're judged on, on ministry faith, on faithfulness to Jesus, and on holiness, but not on. Hey, how many churches did you plant? Ephesus, you should have been killing it. You you know, no, it, that's not the measurement. <laughs> yeah, uh, the eschatological measurement is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think that's really good. Um, whenever we whenever we make just multiplication, what discipleship as being what discipleship is all about, then it ends up making people disciples to a model, more maybe more than disciples to Jesus, and mm -hmm. they might be able to talk through some really like the basic elements of what it means to follow Jesus well, um, but 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 not really know and and live it out well. Yeah. Discipleship has to go, and it has to go beyond uh, just the rational. Like you said before, it has to go beyond just theological systems or church growth models, and it has to get down to the heart, as you, mm -hmm. as you said a few times. And so how do we get down to the heart whenever it's, it, it comes to discipleship? 
Well, the, there's a middle section. The book is all devoted to this. And um, I think getting the gospel to the heart, uh, the three things that, that I recommend from looking at scripture are there are religious affections. Uh, there, there are spiritual affections that motivate us. You, you, you know, we, we are, we talk about what we're taken with. So if you see a great movie, you don't think, Oh, I couldn't impinge on someone. I'm not going to tell them how great that movie was. No, you, you talk about it because you're taken with it. You're like, you got to see this movie. It was so great. Dr. Strange three or whatever, you know, um, <clears throat> we talk about what we're taken with our affections. If we're affection and taken with Christ, well, we'll talk about Christ and that will lead to the discipleship and growth and evangelism. Um, so one of the ways to get the gospel in the heart is to get in front of Christ and to get his word and his presence on the heart and to be stirred to love him. And that is that takes time. And again, this goes against the grain of Western culture. We like a, a quick bake spirituality, a five, 10 minute quiet time, get my word and go check my box. And then you, you hit a wall at work and you don't have no, you don't have anything to fall back on because your affections were not stirred by a sincere and genuine encounter with Christ. You just checked a kind of spiritual box in the morning. You can't even remember what you read. So for, for the heart to be stirred, the heart has to be slow. The heart, um, Lamentations 3 says, uh, God, it, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. We're not good at waiting. Um, he, he does good to those who sit quietly and wait for him. Solitude and waiting and silence um, that that's that's how we encounter God, turning off the busyness, the demands, all of that, and and getting alone and asking the Lord, ignite my affection for you, stir my heart for your truth, uh, meet me. You know, so that that's one way is communion with God, Word of God, prayer with God, and doing it slowly and quietly. He promises to do good to you. Um, some mornings I wake up and I really don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to commune with God. And so I have promises that I have memorized that I'll, I'll trust in because uh, I've got a false promise that says, you know what? You could get a lot more done if you just kind of skipped it this morning or you shortened up your prayer time, whatever. And uh, so that's a promise. Like you'll be productive or meaningful if you get more done today, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, that's not true. My meaning and, and my purpose come from Christ. So uh, God is faithful. First Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful, who has called us to fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, God, you're faithful, and you've called me into fellowship with Jesus. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. But would you keep your promise? Would you draw me into fellowship with Jesus? I don't want to just stay on top of the truth. I want to go into the truth. I want to commune with the truth. I want to be close to Jesus so that, so that I can honor him and commune with him throughout the day. So anyway, that's just one of the ways to get the gospel in the heart is, is spiritual or religious affections. Um, mm. Yeah, and the other two I talk about are promises and warnings. I've kind of incorporated a promise there in that example. Yeah. And there are warnings, you know. Um, 
So, and then uh, the, uh, let's see, religious affections, uh, promises and warnings, and then repentance and faith. So, um, we're all going to blow it. Now, this Sunday, uh, last past Sunday, we talked about love one another as Christ has loved you. Well, Christ gives us the ultimate example. I mean, he laid down his life for us, First John says. And that's the example of how do we love one another. We deny ourselves. We disobey our feelings sometimes when we love one another. Um, he's the perfect example. So I can honor him by denying my own preference and pursuing someone one night, discipling someone whenever they watch a movie or whatever. Um, but I can also love people through repentance. So you can love through obedience or repentance. You can um, acknowledge that you, you know, you've hurt their feelings and that you, uh, you, you haven't been considerate of them. And would you, would, would you please forgive me? And you, you do that with the Lord and you do that with people. Um, and you still are saying you're important. I love you. I care about you. You know, so repentance and faith um, are also a heart motivator. Coming back to Jesus, listen, you're the example. Love one another as I have loved you, but you're also the power. Oh, yeah, you've loved me for this failure to love others in laying down your life. And so I come back and I see a fresh uh, vista on Christ and his faithfulness to love me and my lack of faithfulness to love others. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the three ways I think about, you know, getting the, the gospel to the heart. Yeah. What do you see as some of the primary obstacles that exist in, uh, in your life or people's lives as, as you've experienced through, you know, pastoral ministry, uh, some of the primary obstacles to getting to the heart, what are some of the barriers that we tend to have up? Well, one of them I started chatting a little bit about there we did was, is just busyness, you know, sinful busyness. Um, there's, there's a, there's a righteous busyness. I mean, everyone should be working. Um, we should, uh, you know, make it our aim to, to work with our hands and live a quiet life for Thessalonians. But, um, but there's a, also a sinful busyness where my worth is tied to my productivity or my efficiency. And um, that's a treadmill that, that really drives you away from Christ uh, because your functional meaning is found in, in how much you're getting done how, and how quickly you're getting it done. And that, that pulls us away from the slow, inefficient, space of communion with God. It's not about efficiency. It's not about productivity. It's about <laughs> slowing down before the face of God and communing with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I think rhythms of silence, rhythms of solitude, uh, quietness are a real invitation into the presence of God that we frequently do not accept. Um, and the reason for that is because we're arrogant. We want to find significance apart from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and if we're successful, efficient, and productive, that's about us. That's about how much we've done, how much we've killed it, how, how much we got the side hustle going. And man, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and that is, that is pride and mm-hmm. that drives us from the face of God. You know, first Peter five, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, the humble slow down. They are prioritized the most important being in the universe. 
they put productivity and efficiency aside and they listen. They're quiet. They're still. And God does good to those who wait for him. So I think that's one of the biggest issues today. Yeah. And I think that everything in our culture only reinforces it and drives us to more and more busyness. Uh, I mean, we just with, uh, with smart devices and social media and games on, on our devices and, and and on and on and on, they make us busy even when we're not busy, you know, even whenever we really don't have anything to do, they give us something to do so that we're never without, uh, that, that noise never without that something to preoccupy our mind. Yeah, those liminal moments, those like, you know, those in-between moments at the stoplight, waiting in line, um, those are, are moments where you could be talking to God. You know, you could be praying for others. You could be quiet and people's names might come to mind. The spirit might surface that you could pray for. Um, and I've noticed a, a diminished enjoyment of those spaces in my own life recently. So I, I didn't delete my accounts, but I just took a break from Instagram and uh, Twitter, and it's been really refreshing because uh, yeah. a lot of times those in-between moments are filled with social media activity. And yeah. it's not that good things can't be done there, but when your life, as you're saying, is constantly full with stimulants and productivity, man, it's really hard to hear the voice of God. And it's been really nice to just pray at the stoplight, you know, or in the in the checkout line. Sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, it's like, um, but yeah, so it, it is, it is very countercultural. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a, a good practice to do. I think a few times a year, at least, mm. uh, if not, I, I usually recommend to people and, uh, I, I usually practice it. Sometimes I'm not as great at practicing it, taking a, a, a weekly break mm-hmm. at least once a day where, uh, not once a day, uh, once a week where for full 24 hours, you stay off of all of your go-to apps, whether they be social media, gaming, whatever else to try to keep the, the practice of, um, and self-restraint to not go to it in those moments where instead you could just be, just, just be quiet. Yeah. You could, uh, you could pray because yeah, you, you start to see and realize how much God is willing to do in those little moments. You assume Absolutely. that God only wants to speak to you or, or do things, um, you know, meet with you in, in the big moments. Uh, but like you said, there's times whenever, if you, whenever you're driving, just turn the radio off so that it can be quiet so that you can be praying, thinking, thinking about God, bringing things to him. And, uh, and other times where he wants to speak to you, wants to reveal something to you. There's been an issue that you've been praying about that he gives you some inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but we miss it if we are filling up those, those small moments with other voices. Yeah, and I, I think it also makes us more present in our relationships. Yeah. People people are not a distraction to my productivity or an uh, interruption to my online life. They are my life. Like, they are right there in front of me. The image of God, a child of God. Like, you know, Lewis says, might dare to be, you know, worshipped, you know. There is no ordinary man, no mere mortal, right? We, so, I, yeah, I find myself more attentive to my kids, observant of what's happening in their life and commenting and engaging with them, and attentive to people just in the world. And mm-hmm. um, 
that's a reflection of, of God too. He is, he is always attentive to us. He, he always is um, paying attention. Yeah, Lewis also talked about this thing of the inconsolable secret, the longing to be acknowledged or loved. Uh, and in all of us, we have this kind of inconsolable longing. And wouldn't it be great if Christians were, were part of that expressing like we're attentive, we're engaged, we're reflecting the always attentive, loving, engaged God. Um, people would be drawn more to Christ because we're less like the world, efficient, productive, connected, and more like Christ, attentive, engaged, looking in the face, eye contact, questions, mm. as if a person is immensely valuable. Yeah. Yeah, God has so much more that he wants to do for us and to, and to give us, but we so frequently are just uh, just distracting ourselves, yeah. not open to it. And then whenever we are desiring his speaking to us or blessing or presence, we tend to complain and question as though he's not there, but he's been there and been more willing than even we have, but we've been distracting <laughs> ourselves. And I think what you said before, it just, once again, goes back to slowing down that internal business that we have. Mm -hmm. Getting rid of apps and making changes in our, our, our schedule or so on are good and they might be necessary steps to that, but what it, that's what it really comes down to is the internal striving. Yeah the internal yeah. pushing to get something done, to, to make a post, <laughs> to do yeah. whatever else, to be distracted and to be present to what, what God is doing in the moment. Yeah. I think being honest with ourselves about why that's there. He, Carl Honore, the, the journalist described this as having a, I think he was quoting a psychologist, but, but anyway, that there's an inner psychology of speed in the West. And I, I found myself, um, for a long time, just looking back on Friday on the week, work week and going, man, did I get enough done to have a movie night? I mean, that's messed up. Like the, the, the Christian week begins with rest, Sabbath, and we work from rest. We don't work for rest. And, and so my kind of self criteria was, had I, had I done enough for the kingdom to go on a vacation, to take a break? I mean, that is, that is gross. That is not joyful. That is not content. You know? mm. And, uh, and so I think yeah, it's, it's, it can seep into all kinds of things without us knowing it. So, yeah. um, that inner psychology of speed and often the drive is really about for, for us, it's productivity, it's acceptance, it's worth, and let's just swap that out for the better worth, the better acceptance, the better meaning that we uncover in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So in the third part of the book, you go into, uh, I guess what we could say are the different relational contexts that mm -hmm. gospel centered discipleship can happen in a, a, a mentor and disciple relationship, peer discipleship. Explain to us in a couple of those different contexts, what gospel centered discipleship looks like. Yeah. In, in that section, I'm trying to really, really, um, illustrate what this looks like in real life. So chapter on mentoring, a chapter on peer discipleship. And um, for me, it's, you know, often just getting together with two or three guys, um, having coffee uh, every two weeks. When we get together, we kind of catch up and we kind of follow a, a, a principle of text theology life. So let's get into the biblical text. Let's see what it shows us about God. 
Um, and then let's integrate that into our present real life hopes, dreams, fears, struggles. And what I've noticed is the groups that go life theology text never get to God and never get to the Bible, or rarely. They just kind of pool their sorrows. They kind of get stuck in life. And that's where a lot of kind of uh, discipleship goes off the rails. Uh, mm. For women's groups, it becomes a gossip group where we're just gossiping about how people have hurt us or can you believe, you know, and then mm. it's like, oh, yeah, let's pray. You know, it's like we didn't get to to God and we didn't get to the text, which actually shapes us and gives us hope, gives us, you know, uh, with guys, it can be just like shooting the bull, you know, talking about life, talking about how hard things are, talking about how more marriage is, work is, you know, and you just never get to God. You never get to the tech. So the, so the discipleship just becomes um, powerless. There's no center of gravity. There's no spiritual weight. And uh, it's a, uh, it, it, it's very dissatisfying, but yeah. the groups that I'm in where we kind of, yeah, we'll connect a little bit. And if something's really, really, really heavy on someone's heart, that's sometimes a question I'll ask is anything heavy on anybody's heart right now before we get into Ephesians or Colossians, or whatever, you know, create space for that because there may be something that needs to be addressed immediately. But if there's not, man, let's get into the text and let's, let's hear from the most important person in the room. You know, let, let us hear from him. Let's hear what he has to say, think his thoughts after him, and encounter him. What does this tell us about the eternal son, the sovereign father, the sanctifying spirit? And then um, once we surface that, hey, how's this, how's this interacting with, with our struggles, our temptations, our hopes? So, you know, that's, that's kind of like the, the, the rhythm of discipleship for me. And I do that with guys that I'm mentoring, where I'm kind of the lead. And I'm, I'm really kind of leading all of that. And then I do it with guys that are peers that are, you know, we're all basically leading. We're all initiating. We're all asking questions of one another of the text and of our lives. And, um, you know, I think both are important, you know, both, both of those kinds of relationships. And then when I'm mentoring, I'm often trying to connect with those people outside of that meeting. So, you know, it's important to kind of be intentional in different spaces, inviting them to concerts, uh, you know, having over for dinner. Um, and it's often in those spaces that are unplanned that you really find out some of the more intimate details of someone's life where they really need help, where they really need to see the relevance of the gospel. Um, I think of a, a concert or a, we did, a, it was a surprise dinner thing. So we went to the, this hotel and they had a four course meal and we didn't know what we were going to eat. And then you eat blindfold. It's kind of crazy. Hmm. The guy I was discipling, we went, my wife and then his wife, his wife doesn't come around much. She's not really engaged in the church. And uh, we had probably, after that was all done, we probably sat in the lobby and talked for an hour and a half, two hours. And she shared things that she would never share in a community group or in a church. And he was like lighting up over there. We were like, it was, it was really, you know, so those spaces, the unplanned spaces are as important as the planned spaces. Um, and it's often there the guard comes down and we get it to, to follow Jesus into the heart and yeah. begin to shepherd and encourage people. So, Yeah, that's so good. So good. Um, and the importance of intentional gathering in Christian community outside of those like church planned yeah. gathering times. Yeah, you're right. I, th I think that's maybe almost even more frequently where we find 
really crucial moments or, or, or moments where, where the, the spirit is really working. But yeah. even in those plan times, or I guess church plan times, like groups and so on, I think what you said about like the order and the way that we structure our conversation is so important. It's something that I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought before of the, I don't know, of the significance of ordering it before. Yeah, as, as you explain. It made me, yeah. yeah, and it made me think about it. In my, in my guys group, we, uh, we don't do this every time, but I just remember one of our times, one of the times we met, we got together, we're talking and, and I like 45, I look at my watch about 45 minutes had gone by and I was like, guys, we've talked about, <laughs> I was like, we've talked about airplanes, guns, <laughs> sports, working out. <laughs> like it was the manliest yeah, small yeah. talk ever, right? We hit all yeah. the fun topics. Yeah. I was like, maybe we should start talking about our Bible reading. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, the, the, the order, uh, an intentional ordering of the conversation, uh, can really, really aid some good, good conversation. Yeah. And this might not be true of your group, but it, if that's happening a lot, it may be an indication that you're not actually having enough contact with people outside the meeting. Like you, you're not really living a, a, an intentional discipleship life or being a community, you're trying to serve the social needs of a week into 45 minutes. Mm. And uh, so it may be an indication that you need to have a broader view of discipleship. That's not meeting centric, but is, you know, is, is kind of in the warp and move of life, connecting with people, meals, concerts, you know, parks, whatever your thing is. Yeah, that's great. Unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of our time. So before we go, is there any anything you just want to leave with our listeners from this conversation? Hopes that people get out of this conversation or that they get out of the book if they get it? Well, you know, I, I hope that you get more of Jesus. And often in, in Christianity, we say, you know, Jesus is the answer. Our kids know to say Jesus. But th that can be quite, quite trite. And uh, there is a depth to Jesus that is so profound. So the fill in the blank Jesus is true, but how is it true for you? If you're suffering, it's a weeping Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. If you feel snubbed or overlooked, it's the advocate Jesus, First John, our advocate, who stands up for you, who intercedes for you. Um, if it's if it's guilt that you're harangued with with a habitual sin, it is the redeeming Jesus who doesn't turn his nose up at you because of your sin, but because of your sin comes close to you, wraps his arms around you and absorbs your guilt and sees you as innocent. I, I would I would want to help us think more deeply about the complexity and beauty and diversity of who Jesus is for the Christian life, to have a thick Christology for everyday life. And that's an adventure. That's an invitation. Uh, that's, 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 that's joy. <laughs> mm. And to let your Bible reading um, be informed by seeing the, the many faces of Jesus, the many aspects of Jesus and let that speak to your heart. Mm. Great, great stuff. Jonathan, how can people connect with you if they uh, want to follow your work and follow you? Um, and listen to this? 
uh, jonathandodson.org or .com. There's a, you know, I don't really do a lot of blogging, but there's some stuff there. And then there's a Twitter and Instagram, Jonathan Dodson, Jonathan underscore Dodson at uh, Twitter and Instagram. And then stuff is on Amazon. The books are on Amazon and all those places. So, yeah. I'll have all of that linked in the show notes as well as the book gospel center discipleship. So if any of you guys are interested in getting that book after listening to this conversation, click on the link to the show notes below, you can get the book and also have Jonathan's uh, website and social links uh, there as well. So you can follow him and stay in touch. Jonathan, thanks a lot for your time today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Glad we got to talk again. So thanks for joining us on filter. Thank you, Aaron, and uh, you know, blessings on your sabbatical and uh, to all your listeners. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.